the failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. We need a president who respects science, who understands that the damage from climate change is already here. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 2, The Manifesto. I'm Ian Collins. Welcome to what is fast becoming known as That Podcast, the one where they talk about the green stuff. That's us. The man with the guiding hand here is, of course, Dale Vince. Morning to you, Dale. And let's, uh, well, why wouldn't we start here? The President of the United States has arrived in the UK ahead of a meeting with world leaders at the G7 summit this weekend. For the first time since becoming President in January, Joe Biden steps out from Air Force One onto foreign soil, the soil of Suffolk and RAF Mildenhall, to be precise, on a perfect summer's evening. The G7 summit, Dale. I thought you might be there, by the way. And I would turn up in a diesel car, of course, but we're going to talk about that later. The big deal, of course, is uh, Boris Johnson, you know, the man that talks so much about zero carbon targets, uh, the man that flew in a helicopter to the West Midlands in the local elections to get photographed riding a bicycle, took a private jet to Cornwall from London to take part in a conference to talk about how we fight the climate crisis, amongst other things. Incredible. You have to assume, in fact, no, we don't have to, we know there's at least, you know, one person in the inner circle, the Johnson handlers who is charged with exactly this point. I can remember at one conference where he was seen drinking a coffee out of a non-disposable cup and one of the spads alongside just whipped it out of his hand and replaced it for a disposable cup. So there's people around that are there all about the optics. You know, this won't be a very good look. And so at what point did somebody spectacularly miss the fact? I mean, he might as well have had a Calagas stove pinned to his ass as well, just to have kind of finished off the picture nicely. Maybe he's missing Dom. Maybe, uh, you know, the brain has left the uh, operation. Yeah, it could be that. Yeah, he might have oddly spotted that and said that this is a rubbish look. (laughs) He might have done. (laughs) You'd think he would. You'd think he would. Because he he spotted, you know, that the curtains in number 11 flat were going to be a rubbish look or the way it was going to be funded was possibly illegal. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's strange the G7 summits. And uh, I mean, obviously, you, you, we can get into the other stuff as well. I mean, you know, why does Joe Biden need 100 cars wow. to take him through the, the back streets of Cornwall, which are flown over in separate jets, uh, big aircraft carriers to, to, to kind of go on what, you know, a couple mile journey? Well, that's pretty mad. Uh, and that makes Johnson look rather reasonable, except, of course, he didn't have to travel across the Atlantic uh, just from London. But yeah. Well, indeed, Biden didn't have a, another way really to get here. Um, so yeah, okay, I get that. But all of those presidents, Macron and Merkel, they would have all had their own you know, security detail. I understand that. but And that usually comes with quite a lot of armor-plated vehicles. Yeah. But there's a gulf between... Uh, what leaders do and what leaders say, I think. The coming of golf, that would have been better. <laughs> For the most part. I think, you know, I think Europe and now America with Biden at the helm, I, th- I think that that's a different thing. I think here we've got leaders that really are putting into practice serious anti-climate crisis policies. We don't yet have that here in Britain, you know, the country that just approved its first new coal mine in decades and a third runway at Heathrow and a 26 billion road building program and the largest gas-fired power station in Europe. That was the last 12 months of uh, yeah. 
of our government. Is that what we've got? Is that, is that the largest gas powered station in Europe now? Yeah, Drax. Yeah. yeah. That's a strange madness. Do you know what I don't? There's another point that I, I don't understand. I've never understood this about the G7s, the G8s, the G20s, whatever they happen to be. So you, here you've got the, the leaders of the, the kind of richest, most powerful, influential uh, governments around the world. And they're going to discuss uh, top of the list. They've got climate change. They've got coronavirus. They've got the recalibrating of the kind of whole way we do business in life. If you said to a 10-year-old, these are the, the massive subjects on the table, how long would a meeting need to be to adequately address all of these things, all of the details around these things? You'd probably go, two years? 24 hours? Get in the bin. 24? How do they do this? Into What happens in those meetings? It's like this, at the very least, this is a meeting that you'd think, you know, like a court case can go on, it can be a day, it can be months. This would be months. So 24 hours of meeting time. Well, I don't, even think, I don't even think it's that. I think in probably total meeting time, I reckon it's probably about eight. I mean, Hancock got four hours of grilling on his performance during the pandemic yeah, this week, great. didn't he? That was just one thing. Yeah, one, yeah. Indeed. One man, the, the, one the, issue. The, more attention to Hancock than... To, to global issues such as this. And I, and I know that, you know, meetings carry on. They go on before, they go on afterwards. You know, the, the, that word again, the optics, you know, are, are important that leaders gather. But even so, you'd think, you know, what, a couple of days in Cornwall to sort out the world's problems. Why not, buy yeah. Why not use Zoom? Why not use Zoom? Well, you, do you know what? Thing. You might as well use Zoom. I don't know what you would achieve differently by, you know, meeting and I'm sure it's a lovely hotel in St. Ives. It's a nice part of the world and all the rest of it. Uh, I don't know what extra you get out of things. Photo ops. You get the photo ops and you Boris and Joe pally pally on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's a question from Ronnie on Twitter. He says, uh, he's going to give you a bit of a bollocking here. He says, Dale, how the hell can you attack Boris for his flight when you took a diesel car? He says a diesel car to fully charged. I don't know what that means. Yeah, it's an electric car event. But Ronnie, I want to say, how the hell can you say that? How, how can you try to make any kind of connection between Prime Minister of our country flying to a conference from London to Cornwall in a, in a private jet and a rather big one to talk about the climate crisis and the fact that I've been in a diesel car before? I mean, oh, my God, I'll be in a diesel car again sometime because at the moment, you know, uh, there are more diesels on the road than there are electric vehicles, and it's just a thing, you know. Well, I didn't have an electric car that would get all the way to fully charged, which I think was up up in the Midlands somewhere. I'm not really sure. But as somebody uh, theorized on uh, on social media yesterday, you know, maybe I didn't have access to a Tesla. That's correct. Don't want one of them. We'll never buy one of them. Well, yeah, and, not uh, yeah, given so- one from the boss there either, are you, so. No, no. So I got to ride in a diesel car. I mean, big deal. But this is what aboutery, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? This is like, this is this is not dealing with the issue right in front of us, which is Boris Johnson, the man who talks endlessly about ten pointless green plans and zero carbon targets, jumps in a private jet to go to Cornwall. Come on. When, when actually there is a, you know, literally up the road uh, is a, a train that goes direct to where he wanted to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's got to set an example, hasn't he? He hasn't got to queue up at the train station. And all of his cars stopped the traffic to get him there. So it couldn't be a more, yeah. it couldn't be an easier journey to a train station. Yeah. I mean, uh, Boris Johnson is a man that thinks the rules don't apply to him. And, you know, his, his own personal carbon footprint is not the issue here. Yeah. It's the example that he's setting or not setting for other people, you know. To get to zero carbon, we've all got to change how we live. And, and it has to start at the top. 
uh, well, it has to start at the top and the bottom and the middle, actually. It yep. has to start everywhere. But, you know, when you have your leader just saying, well, whatever, I'm important, I'm going to fly to Cornwall, it's like, well, come on. Mm. There's going to be – I'm looking forward, actually, to the answers to that because that's going to come up, isn't it, at the subsequent press conferences. It will come up every time they talk about um, climate issues and changing your way of life. Uh, he's going to be held to account, I hope, by by journalists who bring that up. But you, you flew down literally down the road in a private jet, you clown. Yeah. I think he just shrugs stuff off, though, doesn't he? He feels he's untouchable. He's he's a bit like Trump in that respect, isn't he? I mean, Trump could do no wrong, even though he did a lot of wrong. You know, in the eyes of his voters, it just didn't matter. Uh, he, he, you know, went from one crazy thing to another. Johnson's a little bit like that. He's a, he's a pale version of Trump. It's a weird kind of psychology, isn't it, of the supporters of that? Because it's almost as if the more things like this they do, the more their people love them, and. That's just twisted. You know, you'd normally be in the psychiatrist chair for that kind of thinking. And why would that be? Here's a guy that's breaking his own kind of spirit of, you know, climate and green government. Uh, and yet you, you find that that enamors you to him more than you did before. I mean, that's just yeah, I, upside down Alice in Wonderland thinking. Yeah, but there there is a group of people in in our country and in other countries that you know do resist the changes that we have to make they find it offensive that uh you know we're being asked to change how we live and stuff like that makes them angry and and they'll be happy to see somebody like johnson thumbing his nose at at that kind of stuff you know in the same way that uh, there are people that are against the black lives matter uh movement organization and the england players taking a knee i mean what's going on with that and the tories stoke that up you've got a tory mp saying that that's like taking a nazi salute i mean my god what planet does he live on and uh, and an element of the crowd booing the england players for taking the knee uh, ahead of international games i mean there's a group of people in our country that feel like that funny world isn't it <laughs> every now and then you just sit back and think wow is this real is this the rehearsal for the real world to come you know in in a few years time i'm going to just step up to the plate and say right everybody take your positions now we start for real and this time read the script yeah absolutely um what about this plastic items from takeaway food and drink dominate the litter in the world's oceans according to the most comprehensive study to date single-use bags plastic bottles food containers food wrappers are the four most widespread items polluting the seas making up almost half of human-made waste according to the research and you might think i mean maybe i'm just being over optimistic dale that every time one of these stories and we know that the oceans are not yet clean you're waiting for that bit of good news thinking we've talked about this endlessly for a long time now for many years mm-hmm. uh, and yet the story sadly is still as grim yeah and i think the other half of plastic in the oceans is made up of discarded fishing nets and fishing tackle uh, actually but we we really need to do something about fast food packaging you know there there really should be a law against it in fact being single-use plastic uh, it should be biodegradable and then if it does find its way into the ocean it won't be a problem but obviously plastic persists in the environment for a thousand years or something which is why we've created this uh, this new era you know in which uh, our plastic waste is entering the fossil record i think it's the anthropocene so geologists have or some geologists have uh, have called the period that we're living in the Anthropocene because uh, because people are now having such an impact on the environment that it's entering the fossil record. And in the future, future generations of geologists, if there are any, are going to dig up plastic waste and say, oh, yeah, that was that period, the plastic age. Yeah, where people today, you know, swap Roman coins and people be swapping <laughs> yeah. carrier bags. 
Burger King clamshells, you know, or whatever they're called. Yeah. yeah. Or, or a McDonald's giveaway toy, although they may have stopped that. I'm not really That's sure. going to really confuse people. Was it Spike Milligan, the comedian, said he wanted to be buried inside a washing machine just to confuse the life out of archaeologists in a thousand years' time? <laughs> Brilliant. It's a lovely thought, isn't it? We don't know why yeah. he's in there. Maybe it was some kind of ritual. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah. This from Naomi. Um, I heard you on the Outrage and Optimism podcast, Dale. Are you still considering politics? Uh, do you think it would be for you? Yeah, I really enjoyed that podcast, actually. Um, and I, I guess the answer is I'm in the same place I was when I wrote the book um, last June. And, and since I've been, uh, you know, in every, in every discussion since then, I kind of, I got one foot in and one foot out. I think it might be the right thing to do. I think it's the place where I could have most impact next. I think it's the place we're lacking most. We've got te- the technology we need. Yeah. It's more economic to use it. We've got the need. People want it. Businesses are adopting it. Where we fall down is with politicians. And so I do think that that might be the place where I could have most impact. But at the same time, I think, oh, God, really? Yeah, because I think at the moment, I mean, we do a lot of stuff with you on the radio, for example. And we're, you know, I think going forward, we'll probably end up doing more and more of that. I would suggest that gives you a better place then if you become a member of parliament, then you know I suppose you could become independent. But if you're part of a party, then there are certain just natural restraints on that time, if nothing else, uh, that means you don't have that level of freedom. So I, I don't know what you'd gain by doing that. Yeah, I mean, if I went into politics that way, um, then I would do it on my own terms anyway. Um, so I wouldn't feel restricted by uh, what other people do and how it normally works. But yeah, you're right. I mean, being on the radio as a platform, working with the Daily Express has been the most incredible platform, actually, to reach an audience that really needs to to hear this stuff. Uh, you know, the Daily Express have embraced this this green campaign thing. I think it's going to be a permanent thing for them, actually, in the way that Brexit was for about 20 years, you know? Yeah, no, that's true. And I think there's going to be, I think we'll find that with other areas of, of news as well that will just naturally kind of morph into that area, initially because they sense that it's... Um, it's probably what they should do, but then ultimately it will just become the normal conversation. I yeah. Think. And in, you know, in the case of the express, we, we speak every week about uh, what's going to go in the paper next week. And uh, they thought it was a good idea at the beginning, but the feedback they've had from their audience and from other people and from within the organization has been so strong uh, that, you know, they just keep doubling yeah. down on it. And that, that's a fabulous yeah. thing. We, we first felt something like that in the early 2000s when we built a windmill for Ford to power the diesel engine factory at Dagenham. And they did it kind of almost for PR reasons. You know, they, they thought it would look good. But the feedback they got from their staff and from the public from that one windmill led them to build a second, or we built it for them, and then a third. Uh, and, you know, it became, yeah. it became a thing for them, you know, that they felt the popularity of it. And so they did more. Yeah, you sometimes got to have those inside the tent, as it were, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. Got to help them along the path. Yeah. Talking of paths or highways, uh, the electric highways. Nice link. Your electric highways have gone. <laughs> yes. You're a prairie, and that was a great link. It wasn't bad, was it? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even plan that. I just It just seemed to naturally uh, spew from my mind at that, that particular point. I think I was just worried, actually. I, th- I was worried that you'd run out of money, you see. So I was going to have a whip round for you because you know you had to sell the electric highway. So it must be a shocking week for you in that respect. <laughs> it was a bit of a surprise, actually. I mean, <laughs> Gridserve had the option to buy the highway since they bought a chunk of it in March, and you know we knew it was always something they might want to do. Uh, but uh, it was a surprise when they did it. It's the right thing to do. Uh, the the highway 
It's 10 years old this year. We built it at a time when there were just about no cars on the road in Britain. We wanted to break the chicken and egg impasse whereby people wouldn't buy cars because there was nowhere to charge and people weren't building chargers because there were no cars. So we just set out and put three pin plugs on the motorway network uh, to get that moving. And 10 years later, car range has gone from 80 miles to 300. Charging has gone from 7 kilowatts to 350, which is incredible. You can stick 100 miles in your tank in five minutes. And all the major manufacturers have set dates by when they're going to drop the production of fossil cars. And in 10 years from now, it'll actually be illegal to buy one in Britain and other countries of the world will follow. And so in 20 years, we'll see a complete transformation of cars in Britain from no electric cars to being the only thing you can buy. So we're in the middle part of that 20 years and the electric highway needs big investment now uh, to adopt the new high power charging 350 kilowatt standard and keep pace really with the growth of cars uh, hitting the roads which is uh, you know I think just in the heel of the exponential curve I think it's about to go bonkers in the next 10 years yeah I mean I know you're often called the accidental businessman I mean there's a whole film to be made on these moments that you know if somebody had told the 16 year old Dale that this would be you know, in the life plan, you'd have probably said, get out of here, you know, and then suddenly, you know, you're in these moments where you're, you're selling stuff. A lot of people would listen to that and go, right, you, you know, you've sold something pretty big. Uh, let's make no bones about it. You've made a few quid out of doing it. Let's buy a place in Mauritius, put my feet up for the next 500 years and do absolutely sod all. Um, but that's not really in your plan, is it, to do No, it's not. No, we've got some, uh, we've got some good plans, actually, it's selling it kind of uh, freezes in terms of um, bandwidth, you know, in terms of our headspace to do other things. And it does provide some cash as well. And I think probably the most exciting, uh, perhaps the most exciting project will be our green gas mill, which I think we're going to chat about in a minute. There's a Twitter question. Well, on that point, Christian emails and says, I saw you mentioned you'll be funding the gas mill project with money from uh, the charging network sale. Uh, Is this just anaerobic digestion with a fancy name? Uh, Longtime supporter of your work, by the way, but would love to know how this differs. I think you better explain anaerobic digestion to most of us, Dale, if you could. Yeah, this is where organic matter breaks down in the absence of uh, of air or oxygen in particular. And yeah, what we're planning is anaerobic digestion. Uh, I don't think it's a really fancy name. It's kind of in accordance with the naming of all of our other things, windmills and sun mills and that kind of stuff. Uh, but what's really different about it is the, the feedstock using grass rather than food waste or energy crops, which have got environment problems. And, and also there's a lot of energy in grass. It's a cleaner material to feed into an anaerobic digester than, than food waste, for example. So it's got a lot of advantages and, and actually will create an enormous wildlife habitat as well if we turned over this marginal grassland uh, to, to the production of gas. And decarbonizing heat, as it's described, is the arguably the biggest challenge we have when it comes to getting to zero carbon how we get you know 20 odd million homes off of gas and at the moment the government are thinking we should do that with heat pumps turn the gas load into electricity load but that would create a ginormous demand for more electricity and if instead we can make green gas then that's a great answer uh here's an incredible story out of texas uh, this is a a republican congressman uh, louis gomert who's asked a senior U.S. government official if changing the moon's orbit around the Earth or the Earth's orbit around the sun might be a solution for climate change. (laughs) Now, I saw this and I thought, hang on, this guy might be a genius and maybe the stuff they can do that I didn't know about and even if they could do it, it will, you know, will will it be effective? Either that or he's absolutely bonkers. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm staggered by that. I had no idea that the moon was uh, the cause of the climate crisis, actually, the well, orbit right. of the moon, um, let alone the orbit of the Earth around the sun. I think it's, it's in the bonkers category, that one. There was a story that I really liked in the news this week, and it's, um, it's a microscopic uh, worm-like creature that was um, found under the ice in Siberia, been there for 24,000 years, and when they warmed it up, it was able to reproduce. And, and apparently it's a, it's a type of creature that's been around for 35 million years without having had sex, which sounds like the most miserable existence to me. That was my first thought. Yeah. Uh, but they're all female and they kind of breed amongst themselves somehow. And what was really interesting to me about the story, though, was that as the permafrost melts, which it is, and we're not going to stop that, there will be forms of life under there that possibly we haven't seen before. This creature is existing around the world. It's not unique to Siberia, but there may be forms of creatures, viruses even that we haven't seen before that are going to pop out because of the climate crisis. I found that a little bit interesting. That is fascinating. I mean, you can't even begin to get your head around X amount of million years, can you, when you start to think, wow, stuff was around live and doing stuff and things. 35 million years. Not as old as sharks, of course. I think they're about 150. Yeah. Which is incredible. That's true. Uh, but not for much longer. If if you've seen Seaspiracy, you'll you'll note that uh, yeah, yeah. the time on this earth may be limited. Yeah. A sad indictment of where we're at. Final one here from Alison on Twitter. Dale, will you stop landing your helicopter on Rodbrick Common? It's scaring the animals. So much to say about this. I think the first one, uh, I could even say on your behalf, you haven't got a helicopter. Well, obviously, if I did, I'd go to that EV conference in it, wouldn't I? You know, Indeed, yeah. You wouldn't be. I mean, who who would take a diesel car when you can take a helicopter? Why but do look, people this, think you've got a helicopter? This is amusing. I don't know if Alice is being ironic or serious, but this is a r- rumor that has popped up, I don't know, every now and then for at least a decade. I first heard it probably a decade ago that I had a helicopter, that I'd landed it and scared somebody's horses. And actually, this is a detailed rumor, I'd given them a bag of carrots to make up for it. <laughs> it's like, I don't know where any of that came from. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. Is there an electric one on the way there? I think there will be, definitely. Yeah, definitely. We're making, um, of course, the electric hovercraft which is coming on rather well. Uh, we've, we've made some good progress on the drivetrain and uh, we're lining up to start building it hopefully in a few weeks' time. Good work. We look forward to it. Um, Dale, that's it for this one. Uh, nice one. Have a cracking week. We'll speak in seven days. Cool. Looking forward to it. See you later, Ian. Cheers, Dale. Uh, that's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, you can follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Do leave a review there, too. If you want to get in touch, very simply email your comments, zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. Really important bit. Follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince and facebook.com slash dalevince. And we'll see you in a week. Zero Carbon East of.